You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Mic check, mic check, here we go again. Hopefully everybody had a great weekend. If you don't know who I am, my name is Dan Johnson. I'm the host of the Nine Figure Chronicles podcast, which you are listening to right now. So thank you for tuning in. Today we have a really good Hunter Profile podcast. We're going to be talking with Aaron Corsi. Uh, he lives in Kansas. He's from Oklahoma. And uh, we're going to talk about a piece of public land that he got to know and has become successful on over the last couple years and that's what today's podcast is about it's basically a public land bs session so hopefully all you public land guys enjoy it hopefully if you don't hunt public land you still enjoy it uh you know aaron was successful because of a lot of trial and error which you will hear in this podcast i'm going to keep the intro short today we're going to do a commercial and again i am in unprepared i got a little piece of paper here that tells me what i need to what commercial i need to do today and let's see here last time we did lone wolf and after lone wolf is bighorn outfitter all right so my boy dustin the crew who i uh met a couple years ago at the ATA show got to know him really well and uh, he is a good guy who runs a very good outfitting operation in Wyoming so if you're ever looking to take the outfitter route and hunt elk or mule deer or antelope and I think they do even bear and moose you know whatever you need they'll help set it up Uh, so you need to go to bighornoutfitters.com and they're out of Wyoming and uh, hit them up right now because uh, I'm not sure if they're full this year or what but if you're if that's something that you're interested in and as you know if you're out east you know in uh, you know anything east of the Mississippi and you don't know anything about 
hunting the West right now is the time where you have to really be looking into the zones and preference points and you know what you need to do about getting a tag and uh, you need to call Bighorn Outfitters you need to ask for Dustin to crew and uh, check it out you can go to bighornoutfitters.com check out all their amenities they run a really good outfit and uh, yeah so take a look at Bighorn Outfitters if you guys are interested in a western hunt uh, I got I got my uh, stepdad a western hunt uh, through Bighorn Outfitters and uh, he's going to go on a antelope hunt a rifle antelope hunt this October and he's freaking jacked for it like that's all he talks about anymore so um, so if you want to kill a different species other than a whitetail hit up bighornoutfitters.com okay that's enough of that today it's a BS session my friends hopefully everybody had a good weekend let's not talk so much let's get into today's I guess BS session public land hunter profile podcast with Aaron Corson. Three, two, one. All right, everybody on the phone right now, Aaron Corsi. How you doing today? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Man, I can't complain. I, the for for me in Iowa, the whitetail season is over, so there's this gap, right? Once the season ends and before I can start doing any type of shed hunting where I I almost call it like magazine flip time because I'm I'm looking at new gear, I'm flipping through magazines that I've collected on my uh, uh, my desk in my office and not really you know, I'm thinking about deer hunting obviously, but I'm not doing any, like I'm not doing anything. Yeah, and, roll, and scrolling through all the uh, social media and yep. websites and all that stuff, looking for new gear. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I know how that is. Absolutely. So before we uh, get in, you know, this is going to be a straight-up BS session. I have a feeling that's what it's going to turn into. <clears throat> but before we get into that, Aaron, why don't you tell everybody where do you live and what do you do for a living? Oh, I am uh, from Wichita, Kansas. And I work in the experimental department at Textron Aviation. Okay. So what does that entail? Um, it's a composite bond shop. Um, we just basically build all the new planes before they go into production. All the composite parts that go onto the plane. Okay. So you're in there... What are you uh, just like experimenting with the, the actual materials, or are you experimenting with the designs? Like uh, you're building new and more efficient planes, or how's that work? Well, basically, what we are is uh, engineering support. So they get the part engineered, and then they get all the drawings and all that stuff figured out, and they send it to us, and we build the parts, and then we get back with them maybe to help them maybe perfect the part or whatever. Okay. Gotcha. So uh, how long have you been working there? Oh, about five years. I five think. years. Okay. And uh, I take it they give you enough time off to still get in the woods? Yeah, I get um, 
plenty of vacation. Nice, nice. All right, so today um, we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, a little bit of Hunter Profile, a little bit of BS, um, and you live in Kansas, right? That's right. Okay, so have you always lived in Kansas? No, I'm from uh, northern Oklahoma. Okay, all right. So you're from northern Oklahoma, and how far from Wichita where you live now to where you used to live about an hour and a half hour and not a half. too far okay so in that hour and a half drive in that general area what's the what's the current deer population like in the quality of whitetails in that area well i would say the population's uh pretty high i mean you can't hardly drive down a row without seeing deer and, uh, I mean, it's Kansas. There's big bucks everywhere, right? <laughs> right, right. So, in this area uh, where you used to live and where you live now, is there uh, – describe the terrain to us. Because when I think of Kansas, right, I think of, like, big pastures or grasslands, not very many trees. Uh, if there are trees, they're in, like, creek systems or river bottoms. Uh Talk to us a little bit about where you hunt and the terrain that you kind of hunt in. All right. Well, what you're thinking of is more western Kansas. And here in the middle, it's, it's a little mixture of both. We don't have any really rolling hills or whatever around here. It's pretty flat, but there's some pretty good chunks of uh, timber. But yeah, it's, it's just it's a lot of crops but yeah where i hunt i hunt mostly out east on public land and it starts to get a little bit hilly out there once you get into out into the flint hills and stuff right a little bit bigger wood lots so then a lot of crops right right so then um with you living in wichita uh you you just mentioned you do you kind of head out east to hunt. Do you hunt around where you live at all, or do you just do a, a majority of your hunting uh, with, you know, a couple-hour drive whenever you want to go? Well, there's a buddy of mine that we hunt with every once in a while. He's got a, a small piece of property just north of Wichita that will hit that every once in a while, but most of the time I'm driving out to get away from away from the town and get away from the people. Right. Right. So I take it that there is a healthy, uh, all everything close, I, I guess you should say to Wichita, uh, is kind of spoken for. And, and that's why you, that's why you drive is to get away from the masses. Oh yeah. I and mean, there's not even any, there's no public land right here by Wichita and you no, know, Kansas has a lot of walking and hunting, uh, property and here in Sumner County, there's not even any of that. So you've got to get away to get to any of the public land or the, the walking and hunting areas. Gotcha. So when it is time for you to hunt, you basically hop in the car and head out. Now, is this something that you only do during like a big vacation, like a rut vacation, or are you kind of a weekend warrior where 
you know, you'll go away for a couple days, come back, or are you, like, I know some guys who, whenever they want to hunt, they drive two hours to the ground, and then they turn around and drive two hours back in the same day. They don't spend the night anywhere. How, how do you approach that? Well, I do a little bit of both, really, but I'm lucky enough that I got plenty of vacation, and I could watch the weather, and I can just take off. If the weather's good, I can take off and go, and I might I might drive down there. It's about an hour and a half to where I hunt, and I might come back that night. Gotcha. Usually I try to stay at least one night. Gotcha. So you uh, take off on like a Saturday morning or a Friday night, spend the night, and then come back Saturday after your hunt or early Sunday morning or something like that? That's typically what, I'm, uh, what we're trying to do, but it don't always work out. Gotcha. Now, you're driving about an hour and a half to hit some public ground. How big is the the public ground section that you're hunting? It's about 8,500 acres. Okay. Is it continuous? So it's a pretty good chunk. Is it continuous? Yeah, this area is, is continuous. Okay. It's, uh, it runs all the way along this river. I think it's 17 miles. Okay. And uh, let's talk a little bit about that on this on this public ground. Um, one, how long have you been hunting that, uh, that property? And two, uh, are you running into a lot of other guys out there? Uh, this particular area, I've been hunting it for three seasons now. One, one of those was kind of on and off, but two seasons I've been hitting it pretty hard trying to figure it out. And during the early part of the season, we don't really run into other hunters, but when around November time, that's when all the the uh, out-of-state guys take their vacations to come on here. Right. Does Because uh, that's when the rifle season starts, right? Well, the, that's... The rifle season doesn't start until December. Oh, okay. But that's when the rut starts getting good, about the first and second week of November. Okay. All right. Yeah, my uncle lives down in Kansas, and his he doesn't even really hunt the first week of, uh, and maybe it's just, you know, different in different parts of the state, but he, he feels that Kansas is maybe a week later than Iowa as far as uh, the rut timing is concerned. So he takes off like the second, he goes hunting the second and third week of November. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And in my experience, I've seen all the the biggest deer around Thanksgiving time was when they get out and start moving around. Okay. So three years you've been hunting this, uh, this piece of public ground. Now, Three years ago, what made you say, you know what, I want to I want to go check this area out? Well, uh, before I was hunting another piece of public property, and it wasn't, it's, it's not as spread out. It's got a lot of acreage, but it's just real, it's real tight. And I was just always running into people almost any time we'd sit out there, there'd be somebody walk through our area or some guys out squirrel hunting, just walking around. And I really just wanted to change the scenery because 
over there it was nothing but cottonwoods and bean fields and <laughs> yeah i wanted to look at something different so that's when i started looking around trying to get trying to find more areas to, to hunt try to get away from some of that pressure gotcha so when you started that process where did you go what resources did you use to find this new piece of public ground well um the kansas department of wildlife um i think it's kdwpd kansas department of wildlife parks and tourism they have a website and i mean you can find all the maps on there and they have a link that has all the public land stuff on there you can download it and actually pull it up on google earth look at all look at everything that way okay so you is and i take it that's how you located this particular piece uh, of property yeah that's how okay i found that one so when you when you located this piece of property what was the next step you know because you don't just say, oh, there's a piece of property. I'm going to go hunt it. You had to do a little bit more research. What kind of research did you do? Um, like, Did you go to forums? Did you talk to other guys who hunt it? Did you do some scouting missions? What was that, that process like? Well, actually, we, I, um, my father-in-law and I we would go out there and fish. And if I get bored fishing, you know, I'd go start walking around and looking around and then I started to get a little more interested in it and started doing some scouting trips. And I think we, we did a couple of scouting trips during the summer, a couple, three years ago. And we decided we really wanted to try hunting it. Then we just kind of dove in. Right. Right. So, you know, those little smaller, scouting missions kind of led to you i mean was there anything there that you saw in those little scouting missions while you were fishing taking a break from fishing that that piqued your interest enough to say you know what i need to either do a bigger scouting mission here or give this place a try because of what oh really just the uh, amount of track that you would we would find down there along the river it was just crazy and then like it seems like every any time you're on the river, you see deer, right, coming down to the river. So, okay. I was thinking there's got to be a lot of deer around here, so I want to check it out. Right, right. So, then, I mean, after those little scouting missions, did did you in fact come and do uh, like a bigger scouting mission, looking for actual stand locations or or uh, places to hunt and address? you know, entry routes and access routes and stuff like that? Yeah, we definitely did that. We didn't um, do a whole lot of scouting before we really started hunting it. Okay. But gotcha. I think we, we just kind of dove in and started hunting right away and did our scouting while we were hunting too. Gotcha. So that first year, three years ago, you know, you're an hour and a half away from home. Um, sometime, are, are you traveling at that point every 
like every weekend or did you dedicate uh, like a, a quote unquote rut vacation where you dedicated a, a week or more to this piece of public ground? Well, the, I think the, the first year we didn't go out there too much and we, we did end up doing a, a rut vacation that only lasted about a day <laughs> <laughs> that first year. Yeah. It's uh it, it's funny because there's a, we did that, that first year, I did a little summer scouting deal we did. And we walked through this little pinch point around next to the creek. And I told my buddy, I'm going to kill a buck right here. <laughs> and then later on that year, and we took that, that little rut vacation. That's exactly what happened. Nice. And then we were supposed to stay for four days, and he got sick and started puking and. Ugh picking his guts up and everything else. So we uh, packed up and went home <laughs> the, day, the day I killed that buck. So your your first year, you really didn't learn too much about the property. It was just a go in, set up, you killed, he got sick. Yep, that's pretty much how it went. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that sucks. I tell you what, I had, a, I had a buddy, well, this was a handful of years ago where he, he was on a big deer, and he was jacked for it, and he had this buck pegged. Then he got the flu. You know, it was coming out of both ends of him, and uh, he spent most of that week like, in a bathroom as opposed to in a tree stand, and he never did harvest the buck, but, man, just like the timing, the, the timing of it all really sucked for him. Yeah, that's a bad time to be getting sick. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's see here. So the second year, you know, bet- between that first year when you killed, you know, your first buck on this public ground and the the time that he got sick, did you do any additional scouting uh, on this piece of property? Or, again, was it kind of a, hey, I know a general area that I want to hunt. I'm going to scout while I hunt. So we, we continued to hunt it kind of off and on that year. And, and with, uh, I started doing a lot more scouting during the, the summer and studying the maps more and looking up more information on how to find these deer. Right. <laughs> it's a, a constant learning curve though. Right. Absolutely. It is. But, Sorry, go ahead. No, just, um, so you started, you know, you started doing a little bit more research. You started doing a little bit more scouting, especially in the summer. Um, what did you find? Did you learn anything from those scouting missions, those summer scouting missions that, uh, educated you on how to approach that particular piece of public ground? I think mostly what I was trying to do is locate the, the preferred food sources and try to find the best travel routes between there and bedding. Gotcha. I wasn't really seeking out bedding. Then I I would just find spots that I thought would be bedding and try to find a good trail in between. Okay. Try to intersect the deer that way. Gotcha. So now I want you, before we get into that second at the actual second hunting season in this general area, describe this area to me. I mean, is it, is it your typical ag timber fingers 
type of scenario, but go into a little bit more detail of what led you to these areas where you wanted to, you know, potentially hunt and why you liked them. Well, it's, uh, it's a lot of crops, obviously. And in this particular public land, there's a lot more timber than what most areas have. Right. But it's mostly, uh, just like flooded wood, wood plains or whatever. It's just flood zone area. Um, and the areas that I'm looking to hunt are, are, uh, areas that are difficult for me to get to, um, areas that I don't think other hunters are going to go to. I'm not really looking for specific, specific, or <laughs> sorry, specific, um, terrain feature or anything like that. I'm just looking for areas that other hunters aren't going to go. Right. Okay. Or that are overlooked. Gotcha. So you're more focused on avoiding the pressure. Yeah, that's right. Okay. All right, cool. So when you mentioned, you know, some of these places difficult to get to, like when you were going in on either a scouting mission on or some of these hunts, how far from your truck were you going in? to you know some of these locations before you would stop and say okay this is far enough from pressure and this is a good stand location well that's the the difficult part about this area is there's so many parking areas and there's very few spots that you can get more than half a mile away from any certain parking area gotcha but the good thing about most of the, um, <laughs> a lot of us Kansas guys are a little spoiled. We don't have to go a long way. So, you know, a half a mile hike would be a long way for us. I think I talked to my buddy about this the other day and he said, you know, a quarter mile is about as long as I feel like I need to go. Right. And I always push that and try to go about a half a mile. And right. I haven't run into any hunters or the last three years. I haven't had a hunter walk through an area that I've been hunting. Okay. So is that because that's low pressure or everybody else is going, you know, everybody else is deciding, Hey man, uh, uh, a quarter mile is far enough for me. I, I don't know how to answer that because, I talked to a lot of people about this area and they say it's heavily pressured. Right. But I don't see that. So I don't know if, it, if maybe I'm just missing that or yeah. maybe what you said is the, the case that most people are only going a quarter mile and they're not going back there where I'm going. Right. <laughs> I so don't know. Do you have a lot of trucks parked in the same uh, parking lot as you? Or, I mean, when you take a drive around the, the section to look for, uh, maybe do some scouting out of your window or glassing. I mean, are there a lot of trucks in all the parking lots? Typically, there's you don't see more than two vehicles parked in the gotcha the same spot because I I think for the most part people are pretty respectful in this. Like if I'm driving and somebody's parked in an area that I want to go, I'm just going to go on and park somewhere else and go on a different spot. I think 
for the most part around here. I think other guys do the same thing. Right. And hell, the, the information that you're getting from people might be because, and you're a bow hunter, right? Yes. Right. So maybe everybody's talking about, maybe that place just gets slammed during the rifle season. And that's what everybody's talking about. It does. During rifle season, I don't even want to be out there. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty bad around here during rifle season. Oh man. I bet. I bet. So second season, you know, you did some, you did some scouting in that summer during those summer months and, you know, you felt you found a couple locations that you were going to hit, uh, in the, you know, during the fall, what did you, I mean, did that lead you to a good starting place for the, the second year, which would have been not this year, but last year, uh, as far as where to kick off the season at? Well, what's funny is last year, what led me to have, to kick off the season was all the flooding. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it rained so much right at the beginning of the season. And uh, every lowland low area was flooded. Right. All the spots I wanted to get to were flooded. And uh, there was even one spot where I had a tree stand where the tree that my stand was in was flooded. Yeah. There was no way I could hunt that. So I just kind of found a area that was close to a bean field and had some high ground. I figured the deer were probably better on high ground. And this was when I first started self-filming as well. Yeah. It was the very first hunt of the year. My very first time taking a camera with me. And it was a mess. Everything was flooded. It was a muddy disaster. And I was actually able to be successful that very first trip out and be able to get a harvest on video. Oh, nice. First time. Nice. So let's see here. Um, Did the flooding actually push the deer up into the higher ground then? I think it did. I, I was kind of on... Um, kind of the top of the a hill where um, oh, I don't really know how to explain. There's just a little drainage ditch where the the water from the the overflow from the field just runs into this ditch. That was full of water. I didn't want to cross that, so I just set up right on the edge of the the field up on the higher ground and I saw, I don't know, probably 10 or 14 deer that evening. And typically you don't see that many, many yeah. deer in the evening whenever you're on public land. Right. So it sounds to me like the floods kind of concentrated them into uh, certain areas. Um, and uh, it made, I mean, did it make locating them that much easier or did you, just kind of say, okay, if I was a deer, I'm going to go here. And then you went there and then you found them. Well, yeah, a little bit of both, I guess. And that area that I had hunted, you know, it wasn't something I had picked out before or even previously scouted. All the spots that I wanted to hunt were flooded. So this field, um, 
was on higher ground and there's a big hill that's just full of cedars that's on high ground and i figured this is one field that's not flooded the deer are probably going to feed there so i scouted that field and it was tons of tracks everywhere so i had to set up somewhere around that field from the amount of tracks that i was seeing gotcha gotcha so you set up there and uh it sounds like it was a success right it was right so and so walk was, us through that that particular setup and all the details of you know how how you act i mean you you found the field but what about this field drew your attention and, and you mentioned some cedars did you feel that the deer were bedding in there then Yeah, because it was on it was the highest ground that they could get to. Right, and it and up in there it wasn't muddy like everything else was. Everywhere else it was just really muddy. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, and mm-hmm. um, so you what did you do? Did you set up right on a field edge and kind of wait for them to come, or did you bump into the timber a little bit and maybe get them at a staging area or at a trail leading to the to the food source? Well, I was probably about 20 yards off of the field. Um, just, I get that little area is a, a staging area right before they come out into the field. And I set up right next to this little ditch that ran through there. Because I know the deer is always going to stop before they go to the ditch. And they're always going to stop when they come out of the ditch. Yeah. Okay. So. so yeah, I set up right, right on the side of that. Right on that cross. It sounds like it's kind of a crossing. Yeah, there's a crossing on that ditch. Okay. So did you have any idea of the quality of deer in that area um, before you set up there through trail cameras or anything like that? Or, or you just hung and you waited? Yeah, I just hung and waited because that, like that area, I've never, I had never previously scouted it or anything i it was just that's an area that i could go to because it wasn't flooded that day <laughs> gotcha yeah makes sense man so so bingo bango he comes through and you shoot him another successful season in this public uh you know this public ground at this point do you and i guess how how long into the trip was that was this an early season hunt or was this part of another like a rut vacation for you so that was early season hunt, and that that was actually a doe that I had shot that day. But oh, okay, yeah, that was a that was early. It was like September twenty fifth or something like that. Gotcha. We yeah. had a big cold front that came through, and we had like a thirty degree drop. Okay, pressure was high, so nice, nice. So then, what about the rest of the season? I mean, did you um, did that water go down? Could you get back into some of that? Uh, to that uh, low, you know, lower elevation ground? Did the deer work their way back in, into that area? Yeah, the, the water went down. It, I mean, that area, the water comes up fast, and it simply goes down pretty fast. Yeah, the rest of the season was, that was probably my most successful season last year. We I killed three deer, and and I think a buddy of mine killed another deer out there. Right. So then 
uh, how did your, I mean, when you started, did you harvest a buck that year then as well? I did harvest a buck. I actually harvested my uh, first deer with a uh, recurve that year as well. Oh, nice. Nice. So on this piece of public ground, I mean, you said it was 8,000. How how much did you concentrate? How many acres did you actually concentrate on? I mean, did you focus on the entire 8,000 acres or did you kind of narrow it down to like a 1,000 a or uh, 400 acres or whatever? Man, I, 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 I look at maps for so long. <laughs> I keep trying to study it and I tried to like manage that down to like less than a hundred acres per spot that I want to focus on. Okay. And it, I mean, it's pretty, that area is pretty evenly spaced out. I mean, you got about, you have so many acres of crops, so many acres of timber, so many acres of CRP fields. So it's pretty easy to break it down into uh, smaller areas. Gotcha. So, with that said, then, did you, you know, were that, were that, where you killed your doe, how far away was that from when you, where you ended up killing your buck? Oh, probably four or five miles away. <laughs> okay. All right. So, is that, that's not very far in, in the world of Kansas, right? Oh, not really no <laughs> okay so so you i mean were you do, still doing additional scouting at this point and how comfortable did you feel uh with this because it sounds like the the previous year um you you killed your buck right off the bat this year you killed another deer right off the bat um and in between when you killed your doe to when you killed your buck were you doing a lot of like like uh, mobile scouting, mobile hunting, you know, j- jumping into different places, looking for the, looking for the action, you know, looking for good quality spots, or was that still done from like a digital map? Yeah. Last, last season I was mostly, uh, obviously studying the maps and the terrain and all that. But what I was doing most of the time was I just going in carrying my sticks and standing on my back scouting as I'm going um I would pick out certain areas on a map that I want to check out and I just go to that and just scout where I'm going and if I find a spot that I that feels good to me I'll hang and hunt it right okay and uh after that season then not this season but last season that was two years ago mm-hmm. did you start to feel more comfortable with that property to say okay on this wind i know where to hunt or this wind i know where to hunt or hey i i've i've narrowed down spots to higher quality so that when it was time to start hunting you could make decisions based on efficiency and really focus on the highest quality tree stand locations that you knew about? Yeah, this year I've this just this past season I've um been able to narrow these areas down to where 
okay, I'm going to hunt this area on south wind, I'm going to hunt this area on east wind, this area on north wind. You know, it doesn't always work out the way you want it to, but, yeah, I've been able to uh, figure this area out a lot more. I think I'm just continually getting better as time goes on, the more I scout. And uh, this past season, I just started using trail cameras for the first time as well and trying to locate uh, certain bucks to chase after. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, again, you found, I mean, it sounds to me like you you started to really learn this property. Uh, and, you know, you go in for a hunt, you realize, hey, this, uh, this place really isn't that good. I'm going to kind of stay away from it. Um, and then, you know, you started hunting in places that were, you know, it's basically a process of elimination, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Cool. Now this year you started using trail cameras. How did, did that change your strategy at all or change the locations that you maybe thought were good or thought were bad? Oh, it, it, it changed my thought process a little bit, but it didn't really change the areas that I thought were good. Um, it's all public land, so, you know, I don't want to put a, a camera up where is an obvious area. So what right. I was doing was just trying to put them up way back on a river crossing or a creek crossing and something like that. Right. There weren't areas that I were going to hunt, but just try to get an inventory of what bucks were in the area. Okay. And how many... Uh, how many trail cameras did you put out? Um, I only we only put out three this year. Okay, so three, but did you move them around a lot, or so like maybe you know you put one up, you go back to work for a week, and then you come back and check it and move it, or did you just keep them in specific places for almost the entire season? <sighs> I think I moved them around more in the summer. Um, when I first started, cause I was just kind of trying to figure it out. Gotcha. But, uh, you know, once I got one decent buck on camera, I just left that camera alone, and let them stay there. Okay. So we really didn't move them around too much. Right. Okay. So did that, did those trail cameras pay off in the long run this year? I mean, did you get, I mean, you mentioned that you got some good quality deer. Uh, so did that keep you focused on a general area and prevent you from maybe spreading out to different locations or, or maybe some of the other places where you didn't have trail cameras before? Yeah, it did. There was one area where we had two really big eight points, on camera that um we were getting on pictures of them every other week or so um and i wanted to really focus on this area and oh it was about the end of october maybe the first week in november that i was ready to dive into an area that i was trying to stay away from because i thought that's maybe close to where they were bedding 
and uh we're getting we're pull up and park and getting ready to walk back there and a guy pulls up and he's like comes and talks to us tells he tells us he's from georgia and they're planning on hunting over here for the entire month and <laughs> come to find out his his uh son had put a his stand up a hundred yards from one of my trail cameras <laughs> and it was right where i was gonna hunt because i've been seeing that pictures of that buck there right so having the trail cameras did make me want to stay in that area and chase those deer but once i found out that those guys were going to hunt there i just gave up on that area and went and hunted somewhere else right now was that another where you went to did you have a trail camera there as well uh and any potential on that trail camera or did you just kind of have we to did. bail? Yeah, we did have one trail camera close to that area. And there was one really good buck that I was wanting to get a crack at. But I was trying to stay away from there till, till about mid-November. And uh, really only hunted that spot. Um, one time, Yeah, we only hunted it one time and had a really good hunt in that area we never did see that buck but we had one good one that we ended up missing a shot on okay so then as you started as you started uh you know getting into that season um, you know, these guys from Georgia came up, kind of put a, a wrench in your spokes. You, you moved around. Uh, you met, It sounds to me like you had a decent spot, but uh, what, you or your buddy missed missed the buck? Yeah, my buddy actually missed. Okay. The, the, I got this on video, and that I'd never uh, – I've seen videos, but never experienced it myself of how much a deer can duck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And holy smokes, that deer's chest almost hit the ground. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, that's crazy, man. I tell you, I've seen a doe, uh, not necessarily on my any footage I've ever done, but a, a doe dropped so fast and so hard that her stomach hit the ground. And that's how much she loaded when she jumped away. And the guy missed her by like a foot and a half. But if you hold, you know, you hold your finger on the TV screen and the arrow goes off, she dropped like, it looked like two feet. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, it is. All right. So this, you know, getting back to this year, um, after your buddy missed that, deer i mean what were what were you guys thinking at this point okay we got a what do, what do we have to do to you know put ourselves back on deer i mean did were you worried at all uh did you have good trail camera pictures or how were you making your decisions based on where to hunt well at, at that point we uh i mean we saw a lot of deer that day and we were in there on the south i think it was a south west wind yeah, no, a southeast wind. And we decided we're not coming back in here until we get that wind because that wind turned out to be absolutely perfect for that spot. Okay. And 
think it was the the following week is when I was going to start my my rut vacation. I was going to take four days off and just hunt real hard for four days. And that area was the one that I was going to hunt in. But uh, that didn't end up happen, happening <laughs> this year. So, so then what? What happened after that? When I, um, when I started my rut vacation, I, uh, my plan was to hunt Friday with my son. Well, we're going to hunt all day Friday with him and then Saturday morning. And then I was going to drive back home, drop him, bring him back home, drive back out there and hunt, uh, Saturday, Sunday and Monday by myself. I ended up harvesting a deer, uh, the buck I got this year on that Friday. So that cut in the rut vacation short. Okay. So did your, uh, but what I'm getting at is you sent me a picture of a deer that you harvested, uh, this year. Where did you locate that deer? How did you locate that deer? Uh, and, and talk to us about the strategy that you use to end up harvesting that, that buck. See, that one was a little bit different because that was the, the Friday that I went and hunted all day with my son. Okay. Well, in the, the areas that I like to get to are a little difficult to get into. So I wasn't going to hunt any of those areas with my seven-year-old son i wasn't going to make him hike through a creek and through the thickets and (laughs) right up and down hills and everything else so what i was looking for was areas that i thought would be good but weren't very far from the road and just trying to make sure our wind was right and uh, that's what i did and there's this area that I went into it. We, uh, I had scouted it before I never hunted it. I just scouted it and always thought it looked really good, but it was just close to the road and I didn't really want to hunt that. Okay. But you got these, uh, this big meander in the Creek, kind of a horseshoe shape and you have to cross the Creek to get to it, which is not that big a deal. It's only three or four inches deep at the crossing. And it's got, on one side, it's got two big, I think this year it was cornfields. And the other side, it's just um, cedars mixed in with some tall grass. I'm not sure what the grass is. but And on this back corner of it, it's got a, a small patch of oak trees. And the, the creek comes in and it... Uh, hooks off to the, the creek runs south and it hooks off to the uh west so right there at that corner where the creek is you have the creek and then the oaks and then the cornfield and we set up right on the edge of the creek with our wind blowing up over the creek <laughs> and trying to hunt with uh a seven-year-old. I don't know if you've ever done that before, but <laughs> I was not expecting to see 
a single deer that night. We were just out there to have fun. Yeah, for sure. And uh, he keeps wanting me to rattle, and I've already done that four or five times, you know, (laughs) because he keeps wanting me to do it because he's just wanting to make noise, I guess. Well, you know, and, the, and he, we, pro- he probably yeah. saw some, <laughs> some footage or a TV show where a guy rattled and a big buck came sprinting in. Yep. I've, uh, told him plenty of stories of doing that myself too. So <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. I guess he wanted to see it happen. Well, actually earlier that morning we had hunted and I rattled in a smaller buck that just came running in on us and it wasn't one I was looking to shoot, but he got pretty excited about that. So anyway, that, that evening, you know, it's, we've probably been in the stand for maybe two hours and he's done. He's ready to go. (laughs) Yeah. And the weather was like just perfect. It wasn't too cold. It wasn't, I mean, perfect for him and I to sit out there and have a good time. And I was like, let's just sit here and wait. It's starting to get dark. It's getting quiet. So let me just rattle one more time and then we'll go. And he's like, but I'm starving. I'm hungry. I want to go eat, you know. (laughs) So I rattle one more time. And in the middle of this rattling sequence, I just look up and see antlers. And I'm like, oh, crap. He's probably... 40 yards away already. <laughs> yeah. He's back in the six, so I know he didn't see me. So I have to, uh, and he's coming, oh, almost right at us. I have to put these antlers up real quick and grab my bow. And, you know, I start shaking them. My son's with me. I'm like, hey, I have to shoot her, you know. <laughs> I start shaking trying to reach up there and turn the camera on, try to record, you know, and this deer just takes his time. He's just walking ever so slowly. Gives me plenty plenty of time to calm down. And trying to find him on the, the camera, trying to get him on there. I can't find him. So finally I just move the camera over to where I think he's going to go. And I'm watching, watching the deer, and I'm watching the camera, watching the deer, watching the camera. And finally, he walks into the frame on the camera and stands there, starts scraping the ground. And I'm waiting for him to come around to a certain point. But at, right now, he's 20 yards from me, quartering away, quartering away a little bit. Right. And I'm like, you know what? He's in the frame. This is a good, good shot opportunity. <laughs> He wasn't where I wanted him to be, but there wasn't anything in my way. So I went ahead and drew back, took the shot, and uh, felt perfect. It looked all right, sounded good. And, uh, I mean, this deer jumped, ran about 15 yards and stood there and was coughing up blood real hard. And I'm like, Levi, he's going to go down right there, just watch him. And, uh, he didn't. He stood there and coughed and coughed and coughed. It seemed like a long time to me. Right. And then he just walked off to where I couldn't see him anymore. And it's funny, my 
my son's like, I think I just heard him go down. I just heard something real loud over there. And I'm like, well, I didn't hear anything. And he's just like, this deer couldn't even have been dead yet. And he's like, are we still going to camp tonight? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm trying to gather myself now. And, and, uh, he just asked me, we need to go eat. I'm starving. I'm like, hold on. Just let me relax for a minute. <laughs> His priorities were just a little bit different than yours at the moment, it sounds like. Yeah, he was He was not excited about it at all, I guess. I don't know. He seemed like he was excited when we found the deer. but He was hungry, damn it. You got to anyway. feed him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he just wanted some baked beans, I guess. But. Finally, we get down. We still got a little bit of light left. Um, we get down. I go check the arrow. The arrow doesn't look great. There's not very much blood on it, just a little bit. And uh, I was thinking I hit a little bit high, and I didn't see him go down. So I just walked over there to where he stopped and started coughing, and I found a little bit of blood, but. I, uh, I didn't see him go down. So I just went, we just backed out and I called a buddy and I said, I just shot a buck. I felt like a good shot. Um, but I didn't see him go down. So we're, we're back down. Do you want to come help me drag him out? And he said, sure. So we had to wait. Well, probably a good two hours on him to get there. And, because he's he's in Wichita uh, still, and you're yeah you're an hour in, and a half away. He's in which, yeah. So I'm sitting there in the tent now, feeding the kid, <laughs> and uh, watching the the video. Yeah, I'm so glad I started doing this yeah. self filming stuff because I can do this and know. Because when I watched that film back, I knew that that was a good shot. It was. It was a little bit high, but he was quartering away. And at my angle, it was a good shot. So what did you what did you think you hit? I mean, if he was he was quartering away or quartering towards? <clears throat> he was quartering away. Okay, so you hit uh, maybe liver and front side opposite lung. Then is that what you were thinking? Well, what I was thinking was I probably hit the liver and maybe the backside lung. Um. And I was thinking, okay, I've one-lunged deer before. Right. And they don't go very far before they lay down. Right. And especially if you hit a liver. So I'm like, okay, maybe he's still alive, but he's probably not going to go very far. And at this place, man, there are so many coyotes out there. Yeah. And I'm I'm like, I don't like this. Coyotes are going to get him, but... it it wouldn't take very long for them to find it. Right. Right. And I'm like waiting on my buddy to get there. I'm like, he needs to hurry up. <laughs> Cause if I hear these coyotes, I want to be running out there <laughs> trying to find them real quick, but it stayed quiet. Well, I mean, we weren't very far from uh, where I shot it to where we set up camp really. It's probably about 500 yards. Okay. So but, uh, you found him 
you ended up finding him. I mean, your buddy, it sounds like your buddy showed up. Your, uh, you ended up finding him. Uh, did, what, what was your son's reaction at that point? I mean, did he get jacked for, for the, the track job? He, he did after we found it. What, and what had happened was where that deer had stopped and was coughing up blood real hard. He only went like 20 yards from there and piled up. Gotcha. But I couldn't see him from where we were standing. So I even walked over to that spot and I looked down into the woods and see if I could see anything. And I didn't see him. Right. Right. And we're, we're following this blood trail. My buddy's like faces darn near in the, in the ground, looking at blood, looking at blood. And I'm like, Hey, he's right there. He, I mean, he almost stepped on the deer. (laughs) (laughs) Like he's right here. So we found the deer. I give, I'm trying to record it. I give the camera to my son and he's excited now. And he's like, Whoa, look at the blood. And you know, (laughs) like freaking out, not really freaking out, but he's just excited. He's like, Whoa, look at the blood on your boots. Oh, look at the blood bubbling out of it. Right. Right. And then he says, I bet I could do better than daddy. <laughs> <laughs> so I think next year he thinks he's going to get a bigger one, I guess. Right. So uh, the funny thing about this is you send me the picture of the buck that you shot this year, and it is mm-hmm. ratchet strapped to the back, not <laughs> in the trunk of the car, but on the back of you know, on top of the trunk of the car, uh, is that is that your is that your hunting vehicle when you go hunting? Yeah, it is. And uh, I mean, last year I killed three deer and I stuffed every one of them into the trunk. But uh, this time I was loaded down for a four day trip. Right. There was no room in the trunk. <laughs> right. Right. And my my buddy was there and with his truck, but he was going to stay the night and hunt. I was packing up to get ready to, to uh, head out. Right. And I'm like, well, I got to do something. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, I laid the straps into the trunk and out the back, shut the trunk, laid the deer on top of it with a tarp, and then just ratchet strapped him. So he's just, literally just strapped to the trunk <laughs> nice nice did you get any funny looks driving down the highway back to wichita i know what's funny is i stopped at the first town because i needed to stop and wash my hands and i was like oh boy <laughs> i i uh, i go in i come back out and you know i was only in there for long enough to wash my hands i come back out and there's a sheriff parked behind me whenever I come out. <laughs> Would he have to say anything? Well, I was thinking, I was like, oh, great. He's going to make me take that deer off there. And no, all he said was, hey, that's a nice buck. <laughs> nice. Yeah. He, uh, he asked if I had it tagged. And he goes, he goes, I mean, I don't need to see it. I just wanted to make sure you have it tagged because, you know, some people don't like to see that. And they're probably going to call it in. Yeah. I was like, yeah, he's tagged. 
<laughs> Man, that's crazy. That's crazy. I had, uh, you know, I, I have people reach out to me all the time on the podcast and, uh, I made a post on uh, Facebook a long time ago about my hunting truck. And, uh, there was a guy who his vehicle is like a hatchback two door car that he puts his deer in the trunk of, and he's like, dude, I've had like 17 deer in the back of this truck or in the back of this <laughs> car, man. So it, you know, it is what it is. You got it. You got to go with what you have. Yeah. You got to do what you got to do. That's right. That's right. Well, I tell you what, man, uh, what, what did this buck that you shot? I mean, it looks like a, a stud buck from the picture you sent me. What, uh, what did it end up scoring just so the people can get a, you know, a visual of, of this buck? Well, I, I don't typically score my deer, but I was just curious on this one. And I don't, I don't really know how to do it. I just kind of looked up a little tutorial and yeah, measured it myself and come up with uh, one forty nine. But I'm pretty sure it's not that big. I don't know, but maybe one forty. Okay, ten point. Right. So you could be off nine inches, or you, maybe you did it right, and it's a it's a one fifty class buck. Just round up. That's what I do. Just round up and tell yeah. everybody it's one fifty. Yeah, I'll, I'll start doing that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what, uh, Aaron, I really appreciate you taking time to come on the podcast and uh, share, you know, BS with us a little bit about uh, your public land hunting adventures and, and the success that it seems like you've had on that ground and uh, good luck on all your upcoming seasons man alright thank you Dan and there you have it another podcast Sign Sealed and Delivered thank you guys very much for tuning in huge shout out to Aaron for coming on the podcast taking time out of his day to uh, BS with us about uh, his hunting adventures down there in Kansas if you guys haven't already, please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. Bighorn Outfitters, Lone Wolf, Ozonics, Gearhead, Wasp, Exodus, Ripcord. I think that's it. Let me check. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, that's it. So go out. <laughs> go out and check those companies out and go support them because they support this podcast huge shout out to uh, each and every one of you for taking time out of your day to listen I, I really appreciate that because without you guys this podcast does not exist so please go to Instagram and check out the Nine Finger Chronicles go to Facebook check out Nine Finger Chronicles go to Instagram and check out and like and follow the sportsman's nation podcast network the rss feed for the western guys is about ready to drop so keep an keep an eye out for that facebook like share all that crap for uh sportsman's nation as well and man we got big things are about to happen and uh, i'm just jacked for what's happening i'm just hashtag blessed <laughs> for for uh, everything that's going down hopefully you guys have a great week at work and if you do sit in a cubicle like me hopefully i can take your mind off the cubicle life just for a little bit and uh, put you out 
timber, thinking about deer, thinking about nature and all that good stuff. And remember, conservation, everybody, conservation, conservation, conservation. That is very important. So please go check out a conservation organization. Don't do anything. Just just go and check it out. Look into a couple of them and uh, see what they're all about. And if you like what they do, go support them. Other than that, hopefully everybody has a great rest of their week. And if you are going to be in a tree stand, please wear your damn safety harness. Have a good week.